I want to tell you about Persistent Vision Records. They are a brand new label that has hit the ground running. They've just reissued two records from Screamo Legends Page 99, the singles collection, as well as Document Number 8, which is an all-time personal favorite of mine. But they're not just doing reissues. They've also just released a split between Habak and Lagrimas, who are two bands that I've absolutely got my eye on that are so good. You can order these great releases directly through PersistentVisionRecords.com or through DeathWishInc.com. Give them a follow on Instagram at Persistent Vision Records so you don't miss out on what's coming next. Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit HeartworkCoffeeBar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit HeartworkCoffeeBar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T Work Coffee Bar. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 153. And my guest this week is Mr. Alex Henry. Where do you even begin talking about this creative man? He plays guitar in Basement. He also plays guitar in Fiddlehead. He has been on tour with Turnstile, documenting their tours. So if you follow Turnstile and you've seen any of those incredible uh, concert recaps where they're interviewing the audience and just getting footage of the entire experience, that's all Alex. Um, Fiddlehead has a brand new record coming out on August 18th via Run For Cover Records. It is called Death Is Nothing To Us. You can pre-order that now through Run For Cover. There's also a couple exclusives. If you're a vinyl person, There's you can get one through Rough Trade. You can get one through Revelation. You can get one through Brooklyn Vegan, for example. Um, but I love Alex. I've known him for a very long time. We've toured together. He's actually documented Touche before. He's just an unbelievably creative person who's just always, always working. And it's very, very inspiring. And I got to say, this is one of my favorite episodes 
uh, of the show ever. He's, uh, he's a great interview, and um, I found myself being very inspired by this conversation. So I hope you get the same thing out of it. I want to let you know that if you are new here as well, there's a bonus episode where Alex answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can hear that over at patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon where you can get access to all previous bonus episodes. There's a Discord channel. And if you pay uh, the second or third tier, you can submit questions to upcoming guests as well for those bonus episodes. It helps support the show. It means a whole lot. We got a really cool community over there. I'm very proud of it. And uh, I'd love for you to be a part of it. Um, Also, if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you are listening to this, please do so. Leaving a positive rating and review, all those sorts of things help. Um, and it would really just mean a lot. All right. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Mr. Alex Henry. Alex Henry, it's so nice to see you. How are you today? I'm doing great. Great to see you, Jeremy. Great to see you. Am I one of the few friends you have that calls you Alex? I feel like everybody yes, calls you and Alex. and I love it. <laughs> Every, okay. It's so strange because someone is like, oh, do you have any nicknames? Like back in England and after I'd been living in the States for a while and I was like, no, not really. And Andrew's like, dude, everyone calls you Al. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it's just like an American thing that I don't think of. But most people back in England will probably call me Alex. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's so funny. I'm I'm in that book where like, if I'm introduced to somebody as one, th- like the first, whatever I'm first introduced to somebody as, that's their name to me forever. Yeah. <laughs> so I met you as Alex and you're yeah. Alex to me. It so. just got it just it just slowly morphed over over the years. Um but yeah, no, Alex Al is usually the two that will go by. I love it. I love it. This is kind of funny and almost embarrassing to ask you right now, but where are you living? I am in Echo Park. Okay, um, so you're in Los Angeles cuz like yeah. <laughs> Post pandemic and then you've been traveling, I've been traveling like I kind of lost track of where you were. Like I was like, are you back on the East Coast? Like what's the story yeah because we met up after i probably had just moved to la and we got coffee right. and hung out and then i was away a lot with turnstile and then i moved and then i wasn't really even home because i was again back on tour again and yeah so it's been, it, i've barely been in this place for longer than like three weeks maybe tops three weeks but um yeah this year has been crazy so there's been a lot going on yeah, absolutely. I imagine home almost just still feels like an apartment. I mean, like a like a hotel room to you at this point. We, we've slowly started to spruce this place up, but um, yeah, it's still it's a work in progress for sure. Oh my god! Yeah. So when did you you just got home, right? Yeah, we got home from the Blink One Eighty Two tour, and then three days later we flew to Miami to do Rolling Loud, and then yeah. tomorrow I'm, I'm going to fly to Omaha, and we're going to do a festival, and then. That will be pretty much it for Turnstile and, and me for, I think I have a few more things, but that's pretty much it for the year. Jesus, I cannot believe how long that Blink-182 tour was. <laughs> the crazy, <laughs> the craziest part was there was two weeks that they had off. They, they, it was two legs. And in that two weeks, yeah. we went to Europe. So <laughs> we just kept going. I think I counted it as 74, 75 days. That was the longest oh. I've ever been and God. I played Fiddlehead shows in between. I missed some of the California dates because Fiddlehead played, and that was already booked before I agreed to do Blink. So, yeah, who filled in for you? Uh, my friend Ian shot the video, and uh, Alexis shot photos. So, oh, okay, okay, okay. 
who were yeah filling God. filling in and uh, making sure that everything was documented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that hard for you to give up that kind of? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I it imagine was, it, it was this. I think the hardest part is like my brain is separated into like I was in turnstile mode, right? Turnstile brain is like fully activated. We're just in it on the Blink tour, and then I just jump ship and go and play these shows, but. That's still, I, I know the tour is happening. I'm in the group chats. I'm seeing things happening and it's like killing me that I'm not there. And I had to just kind of just let go and breathe and be like, they've got it covered. But yeah, it, right. it did. It was hard, I think, because LA was the only show that had um, no seat, uh, no seated floor, floor seating. It oh. was like, it was, it was standing. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, are you kidding me? I'm missing like the first time there's going to be like floor mosh pits and like kind of probably a better energy yeah but it's fine yeah you know i jumped back on and it was it was great and uh everyone said they missed me so that was nice right <laughs> but, right right <laughs> but um yeah no, it, it, it definitely is strange uh, i try to not miss a show i don't want to miss a show i have there's like all these questions that pop in my head about the turnstile blink experience like i have to imagine that's the kind of tour that they build the stage every single day right Cor correct yeah so it's that's got to be kind of almost groundhog's day for everybody because it's the that, same stage every single day jeremy that is the exact phrase that i would use when people say house tour and i was like it's great i i just feel like it's groundhog day every day is the same and you have to try and find something to kind of mix it up you feel crazy yeah. you wake up on the bus you get off the bus you walk into another arena with the same stage with the same people with the same signs it's like this is crazy. This is straight yeah. up abs absurd, but it's great. It's just, it's just a completely different. different. Yes, it's different. Uh, I don't know if I would want to. Well, I know I wouldn't want to do that forever at, at right. that level because, I mean, I mean, maybe if they were headlining, it would be a bit different. But it was um, creatively, it's just different. It's uh, how do you make the same apple look different you know or whatever you have like you you set up the same stage you know i don't know why i used apple i was thinking of like no, <laughs> still I like life. it i like it you know like yeah. still life like you wake up and you look at that still life and you, okay how do i different angles lighting but um it was a challenge and it was it was fun to try and do something different no totally i we experienced that only one time and it was a very short tour but I remember feeling even in that very short tour, like, God, this is strange that like every, like, even though we're in a completely different city, this is a different arena. It just feels so bizarre to be like, Oh yeah, this is all the same marks on stage that were there yesterday. Like what the hell? <laughs> I know. And the, the, for me, it was like the, the fact that we would wake up and you know, you have 30 minutes you know of that to like do what you're meant to do and the rest of the time maybe i'm in the venue maybe i'm in a room what feels like a prison sometimes for like yeah 10, 10 hours like i haven't i haven't left this this space i've just been in the backstage room just playing cards hanging out like just eating catering because, and like something, there's nothing to, yeah. to go and do because you're kind of maybe a bit further out or like the, the weather's bad or it, it it's a trip i i definitely tried to run more on that tour and like kind of get out um do something active because you kind of can go crazy <laughs> absolutely i mean famously those arenas are not in center <laughs> no, <laughs> like, i know those things are so far from anything of civilization it's usually yeah. just like 
gas stations and and uh like parking lots basically yes, parking lots, like yeah, near but, the airport <laughs> yes <laughs> people will be like yo what did you do what was your favorite thing to do in you know insert town i'm like or city i'm like dude yeah. i didn't i didn't leave the venue i didn't leave the venue for like 75 percent of the tour <laughs> right. i was just i was just there oh, exactly <laughs> then you'll have people be like what do you mean like you were in paris you didn't go see yeah. the town you're like you just i can't explain this to you i it's know so, yeah it's so it's, hard it's so hard it, it's different when you're you're playing a club show and you know there yeah there's there's chances where you're the venue is right by something really awesome or you're like just yeah. i am gonna go to this place i don't care what happens i'm gonna wake up early or i'm gonna be <laughs> arriving just before set time sometimes that happens other times it's yo i'm beat i'm not leaving i'm gonna get some food i'm gonna yeah. play the show and i'm gonna get back in the van and <laughs> you know oh my god uh, <laughs> there's also the thing where you know obviously all the respect in the world to blink 182 but it's tough when you're the opener and you know that they play probably for like two hours and it's just like the longest set before the night ends yeah like, yeah there's <laughs> yeah. i mean it's respect to some of the the crew and band who would watch them like consistently yeah. like yeah. Blank, blink wasn't my band like that was i was more yeah. green day so you know i knew i was surprised how many songs i knew on that tour i was like dang this is crazy i know this one and this one and different eras mm -hmm. of the band i was like whoa i'm actually like a fan i guess like this is wild yeah but um they would watch consistently and just go out there and just watch the show and check it out and i was like wow i can go out and watch you know four 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 or five songs here and there maybe a little bit at the end a little bit at the start but yeah. no by the end i was like i'm not i'm not giving up <laughs> I've, right. I've seen it i've seen it <laughs> absolutely it's funny that's very similar it, like my experience is doing it with rise against in europe and that was the same deal where like i knew a couple of the radio hits but then like the first night of tour being like oh my god i know way more songs than i thought i did they have way more singles than i realized oh my god yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> um something that i find so sweet and charming is that our friendship kind of started with you doing the exact same thing for us in an extremely <laughs> smaller scale where like for listeners that. at home like when we met when we met alex we played, I think it was like two shows with Basement, but you got in the van with us and you documented Correct. us for like, I think it was like three or four, maybe four or five shows. I can't remember really. But yeah, I think, I think yeah. I was on for an extra like three or four shows. One of them was Southampton. Actually, we played Southampton and I went and played. Yeah. I went with you guys. You did Camden Barfly and another venue um, that I can't remember. But I remember walking around Camden with you guys and uh, yeah. yeah, being in the van with you, having breakfast, chatting and getting to know you guys it was i i thought about that the other day i was like that was insane like yeah and i just like i think i'd cold called someone and said like hey you're gonna be in in town i spoke to blaze i was like i you know i do video stuff maybe i could do something for you <laughs> yeah so was that had you done that before at that point so i probably had like two or three things that i'd done that i felt good enough to show people i think one of the things was a mini documentary with basement being in america and i'd done a music video for tiger's jaw and a music video for daylight before they were super heaven so i had i had some stuff and that was the transition period where i was like what am i going to basically do with my life knowing that basement was like kind of done you know um yeah so my mom was like well what do you what what are you good at and what would you like to do? What was your dream thing? And I was like, well, I mean, to make videos or do videos. She's like, then just go do it. 
I was like, yeah. oh, you don't understand, mom. No one would ever pay me. No one would ever like, you know, I was like so annoyed. She was like, yeah. why not? She was like, just go and just do it for free then. Just like go and do it and make something and then show people. And then so I was like, all right. So she was right. She always gives the best advice. And uh, yeah. I went and did those few things and slowly was able to like get a little bit of money to cover certain things. And then Jeff from Run For Cover had hit me up and was like, hey, if you ever considered moving to America, because I he'd seen me out in the States and knew I had dual citizenship. And I was like, uh, maybe. And then I was like, wow, maybe I should do this. He's like, well, if you do, you should move to Boston and come work for Run For Cover and do all our video and photos. So that ended up happening. And I just booked a one-way ticket, took whatever money I had and like a, my cameras and just moved. And that, that was it. That was uh, probably 11 years ago. Right, man. And you really, really, really did so much for the creative content with Run For Cover. Like I'd never seen label really go that hard with like really really enjoyable fun content like on a weekly basis um and uh yeah it's just you know being your friend all these years and seeing how you've really expressed yourself through all of your work and like that it's i don't know it's been really cool to see from the sidelines so in case you're not told constantly you've done a great job (laughs) cheers thank you no i i appreciate that and it was it was so fun i mean those golden years at rfc were so unbelievably special and i i am really hyped that it feels like yeah we were like one of the first i've never seen a label do it the way that we did it yeah um and it was really fun to kind of show the ins and outs of that label while we had that space and while i wasn't touring full-time so i mean it's it's you know in a way it's like you kind of created um almost for lack of a better phrase, like a reality show around the staff <laughs> of a record label. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. I know the, I know the cat, I know like the staff members would then be going to shows and would be recognized, like having Dane be recognized or, you know, any of these people like just be like, Hey, like, you know, you're really funny on here or whatever. It's like, you were given these, it's, I don't know. I think it's, you know, like anything like a band or whatever. It's like once the public kind of gets to know you they want to support you even more so that was like a really brilliant move on all your parts yeah it was great because it was just you know i loved youtube i loved i loved skateboarding and i would always be able to see the ins and outs of i would learn about who's on the team what kind of person are they the skits like the fun things and i was like there's nothing like that with music and it's kind of hard because with skateboarding you can just go to a spot and people can skate and you can just generate, I hate to use the word content, but you can generate the footage right there. And then with music, it's like, it's a little bit different. So I took some of the things I'd learned from skateboarding videos and kind of was trying to transfer that over. And also it's always nice being in a band, dealing with some press, doing interviews. I kind of knew how I'd want it to go. And I, and I knew my friends and it would, it would always be easier. So I'd better get good, content and like you know whether or not i'm learning from like nardwar and like taking from these little subtle influences where i'm like i'm gonna take all this stuff i love and try and condense it in one place and that's what we tried to do while i was at rfc beautiful um well let's get into all the you know the the first ever ish things um remind me where so you've mentioned dual set dual citizenship explain that to me again so my mom is American and my dad's okay. English. And so when I was born, my mom got me an American birth certificate, American passport and set me up. I was ready to go, you know, and Where always told America? me she, from? she's from Pennsylvania, but lived Pennsylvania. in lived in Atlanta, Georgia for a little while, lived in actually lived there for a decent amount of time and then lived in Arizona for a while and then moved to the UK. 
Um, okay. She would, she would always say to us, me and my brother, she'd be like, remember, you're different. You're American. Like, you're not like everyone else in England. Like, these, <laughs> you're emotional. We, like, we talk to people. We, <laughs> we're, we're more outgoing. <laughs> so I always felt like uh, when we come to America a lot as kids, as when we were growing up, I always felt an affinity to the States. And it was only natural that when I moved out here, just, I don't know, I just gravitated towards it. Yeah, how when you were growing up, how often were you coming out here? Um, not a ton, but when I was really young, you know, we had family out here, so my mom would come and visit her sister. Um, we'd maybe go and see my uncle. Um, we had we had some. It was more as my mom uh, had got her career later in life that we'd go out to like um, go to New York, we'd go to New Hampshire, we'd like go to like East Coast places and Boston and visit. But yeah, enough. And then she bought a house in North Carolina and that was the whole thing. So it was just like, there was like <laughs> these adventures in North Carolina in the middle of nowhere. Um, but yeah, we, we'd go out a decent amount, mainly when I was, I guess, like 13 through 18. We were going a reasonable amount on like vacations out to the States. When you were a kid, was there a place that you found yourself loving the most that like once Basement started touring and you went back there, it gave you any sort of like nostalgia feelings? Hmm, good question. Um, I guess New York, because when I'd come up to New York with my family, all I'd ever done was touristy stuff. You know, yeah. you see all the sights, you eat the the basic food. And then so then coming back, playing and being like in the mix and like having friends and them showing you around and like kind of understanding what it's like to live in New York because you're, you're staying with friends or they're showing you their local spots was, was like, dang, this is such... This is another world that I've been, my eyes have been open to, you know, because of touring and music. And I was like, like being once a tourist and now being like a tourist in a different way, you know, like you're, you're, you're exposed yeah. to a different, uh, to the real, I guess, just the, the, the flow of life in New York. That, that always felt special. Like getting to no, play I mean, there. Like, like I'm there yeah. for a reason rather than just like, I'm there as a tourist. I was like, well, this is so trippy. This is awesome. Right. Right. No, definitely. Um, well, let me ask you this. When you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house by like your folks, but something that you found that gave you like a sense of identity. I can't remember how I got given or found out about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but that was one of the first bands that I'd heard of. And uh, actually, I do remember I was at a friend's house who was like pretty close to where I lived. And he had three other older brothers, all musical family, CDs, records everywhere, posters on all their walls. And I remember seeing the cover of Californication and being like, just like, this is like, whoa, what is this? This is so crazy. And then hearing some songs and their mom wouldn't let me have all the songs. So she, when they burned the songs onto a CD, she only burned like, like only select songs, I guess that had like okay. less cursing or like less like sexual innuendo or whatever, you know, <laughs> all the weird right. Anthony Kiedis stuff. <laughs> so maybe I had like four or five tracks from, from that record. Um, I was surrounded by friends who knew way more about music. Like they knew about labels. They knew about the side projects. And I was kind of just like soaking it in and like, kind of being fed that kind of musical knowledge at the time and so people would give me cds or and then from there i'd go to the library and like borrow a cd and then burn it and then um you know like yeah it was like people were like giving me like you should take this out check this out check that out you know and uh yeah i think 
chili peppers definitely there was something there um that i was just and that was in the uk that was in the uk yeah but my i want to say like there's something that's very poignant to me that i trace a lot of things back to is uh stevie wonder because my mom had a cd was best the best hits top hits whatever it's called and uh the greatest hits there we go (laughs) and uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I remember the CD, it's purple, and we had a CD player in this tiny little pantry area near our kitchen. And I remember just going in there, putting in the CD and listening to Superstition and just hearing the drum kick in and then hearing the riff and just being like, that was it. That was like rock music for me, guitar riffs. Like that to this day was like my first musical memory. But, you know, it wasn't my mom saying, hey, listen to this track. She would always put on My Sherry more because her name is Sherry. And that was the reason why we had that CD. So I oh, was wow. listening to like, whoa, what is this song? This is crazy. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's like yeah. dark. He's talking about superstition, but he's actually like, there's like biblical references. It's like, this is the coolest thing. It kind of, I don't know. I, I, I'm like, I guess I trace that back to like earliest memory of like electric guitar and riffs and like drums and like being like, whoa this is awesome yeah so so yeah oh that's awesome that was the start but then finding it on my own i guess was like yeah i guess chili peppers would be would be up there um you mentioned like going to the library and burning cds which is a great hack (laughs) yeah uh, yeah (laughs) um you know i ask i often ask like a cd you remember buying yourself like maybe you know you had an allowance and you saved up or something like that do you have any were you buying cds or were you mostly just burning I was kind of burning because I, I remember people's older brothers getting CD burners and he's like, I can burn you anything. And I was like, right. holy cow, that's crazy. Download so like, yeah. And people would like bring me Punkorama and like, they'd be like, they give me Rancid, Dropkick Murphys, like the Mars Volta. Like at that point in my life, I was like alternative. Like I, I wasn't, I was like, I, I'm alternative. I like ska. I like punk. I like all this. You like, like it all. Stuff. Yeah. But, I, but I'm yeah. not punk and I'm not right. hardcore and I'm not, indie i'm like oh i pride our friendship group we're like pride ourselves on being like we're we're alternative we like all these music like show me some like 8-bit music i'm like down (laughs) you know like yeah yeah yeah. i was just so we wanted to have a very varied uh musical taste but um so one cd i didn't buy but when i set up my first bank account you could have like these different perks and one of them was like oh you can pick three albums and it will cut like your account will come with three albums and one of them was uh verve um the verve sorry uh urban hymns and so yeah. that that was like an indie record that i loved and obviously being from england there was like the indie boom when i was growing up and so there was like just all these like records but that one stuck out to me and, and to this day i still listen to and love um and yeah just so many beautiful tracks on on that album um but that one, that and that the record cover, just everything. It's so funny how those certain things are just burned into your brain. I remember listening to it in, in the top floor of the, of the house, like in my little like attic room and like, you know, just like putting on it in my CD player. Like, it's like, yeah. So, but that, that, that was definitely the, a record. Is that the Bittersweet Symphony record? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. That, that is definitely a good one. Did you have like, because us, you know, we're we were all so obsessed with like the brit pop movement i'm curious like how that reflected your childhood growing up like was that stuff fed to you pretty heavily like the importance of the oasis and uh like oasis uh the verve pulp like uh blur was that stuff like handed to you pretty early on 
Yeah, I mean, to to us, it was just it was just on the radio. It was right. on TV. It was just you just surrounded by it, so it was normal. So it wasn't cool to me. You know, I was yeah. like the heavier stuff was cool, or like you know the more like a alternative punk, whatever the little like kind of twist on that kind of stuff was. I was gravitating towards. It wasn't until maybe I reached like eighteen, nineteen that I was like, yo oasis like yeah this is epic i thought it was just like yeah whatever you know i've heard all these songs a million times never had delved into the actual lps and so it was wasn't until like later in life that i found my like love for those bands and appreciation on maybe on a different level um but i'd always loved blur uh that one was just i'd always remember singing those songs with friends or like going to a house party and someone was playing like different tracks but oasis was like a, a later like a slow Got burn it. i guess because i was like oh Got that's it. like fo- that's like uh like lads and chavs like football <laughs> hooligans like who cares like that's not punk that's right. not you know what i mean <laughs> like i didn't yeah. really know anything about them as a band or their story or it was just like yeah there's just the songs from those like arrogant brothers you know like that was it you know what's funny is i feel like that's very similar to a lot of people your generation with in the states with nirvana where people are mm, like, oh, mm. yeah, like Smells Like Teen Spirit. I've heard that song a million times. Yep. <clears throat> but then, you know, they get older, then they actually hear In Utero, and they're like, oh, my God, wait a minute, you know? Yeah. Very similar. I, um, I see that. I see those crossovers. What, uh, what was your first concert? First concert that I can remember going to would have been, I would be 14 or 15. And cause I was kind of sheltered from like going to shows and like my mom was like a bit nervous about me going to like, definitely like rock and punk shows. But sure. first show was actually the Red Hot Chili Peppers with James Brown opening. And it was 20. Whoa. Yeah. 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 Uh, would it have been 2003, I think. Cause it's a live record that came out. It's uh, when they played Hyde Park in london oh wow um, so there's a there's a live recording of your first concert yes and i still to this day listen to the version of can't stop because the solo was just it changed but it was just it, it, i couldn't even believe it. i transcended in that moment when i heard that solo like i was like i just couldn't believe it like he played a different riff like for shante just ripped out this solo that was just so epic and i remember when the cd came out and listening to it and just so happy that it, there was two days they did two days at Hyde Park and I knew when I listened to it I was like that was a solo I heard like they used that one and I was like so happy so to this day I still listen to it and reference it as one of my all-time favorite uh can't stop solos it's just so good it's just oh, awesome that's amazing I was that's losing amazing. my mind I was yeah. losing my mind also funny story from that show there was an opener called Chicks on Speed oh and man, when they played yeah, yeah when they played the band, uh, the crowd were like booing, and then the ba- the crowd turned away, like the, the t- as like the ultimate diss. They just like faced the other way as like a protest, like we hate this. And I know it was so savage. I don't think I really noticed that Whoa. at the time. And when Flea came out on stage, he was like, "Yo, we don't do that. We don't do that when openers come out. Like you got to treat them with respect. They're out here just like playing. Like I don't want to see that again. Or you know, just like kind of yeah. stuck up for them. Was like that's messed up. You know." And uh, I think at the time, maybe I was, a, you know, I was young. So I was like laughing at the time. But when he said that, I was like, all right, respect. Like, okay, yeah, that wasn't cool. Right. <laughs> you know, like, but 
yeah I, I, that always stuck with me and i was like all right respect he went out there and stood up for his opening act that's cool that's cool man the few times i've seen that happen where you know crowd is disrespectful to an opener headliner comes out and kind of scolds the audience it's like you see so many people have that moment of like oh yeah they're here because the headliner wanted them to be here it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like your general public really does think that this band just ended up on the bill somehow <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know what yeah. i'm saying but yeah. yeah unfortunately i feel like to most civilians they just most openers are just in the way which is unfortunate yeah i you know? know i know and and some uh, and sometimes yeah. they are. Sometimes, sometimes they are. Sometimes yeah. they are. Sometimes <laughs> it's just like, I'm sorry, I just want to see the headline. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you yeah. know, you as as someone who's been the opener, and you, you sometimes you do, you don't you, you don't care. You're just there to play, and like yeah, sometimes it sucks. So you like you don't get that recognition, or you you get no love. Uh, but that builds character too, and I'm sure that after that set, they made it through, and they're like, we did it, we made it through. That sucked, but. Maybe mm -hmm. there'll be ne there'll never any be anything as bad as that, you know. And like, okay, you've hit rock bottom, so let's build from there. You know, I yeah, don't know. It's, I think you got to take a few. You got to take a few punches. Yeah. You know? It is especially so, in rock. So important to take a big old slice of humble pie now and again. It is oh, yeah. so important, man. Yeah. And um, some people never get it. Some people never get it. I think some people just boom. They just right out the gate hyped, or they're just. Right. They go straight to playing arenas or have buses and it's easy and they've probably never, which is crazy to think about, but it's, it happens all the time. At some point, they're going to eat a slice <laughs> of <humble pie>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for them, it's probably like, oh, wait, people don't love us as much as they used to. You know, yeah, know. that's yeah, probably yeah. like what they're wrestling with. Like, dang right, it, we're not right, making right. 10 bill anymore. We're just making I like know. two. Like, what the heck? <laughs> totally, totally. Um what uh was was that kind of experience like were you already playing guitar at that point when you watched that solo live oh yeah 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 i okay so I when did you up, start playing yeah my mom had played acoustic guitar and she would she had this old spanish guitar and she would sing me and my brother to sleep at night and she would play songs to us and so that guitar was just in the house so in primary school i remember picking up the acoustic guitar and learning like the basic chords i remember performing in front of the school and the music guy said like like give a round of applause da, 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 da. everyone did great i really think that alex and adam will continue should continue or something like he said he made some like little comment about like us being doing really well and that we should continue wow. or like i can see them continue to play and sure enough the two of us ended up continuing to play music and both playing guitar um so I played the acoustic for a long time. It wasn't until it was, I'm trying to think, did I have an electric guitar in middle school or high school? Maybe, definitely high school. I got like a red Squire Strat. That was my first electric guitar. Love and it. Then, yeah. And then uh, I left it at my high school over summer holidays and there was renovations done at the school and someone stole it. No. I came back and it was, yeah, and it was gone and I was devastated. So I never had my first guitar, but I then went and bought my first Les Paul, I think when I turned like 15, 14, 15, something like that. So yeah, I had like my Les Paul Fireburst guitar, you know, like just like a, what was the, the knockoff one? It wasn't the Gibson. It was Epiphone. Epiphone. Um, yeah. 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 And it felt like plastic, but I loved it, you know, and uh, you've always that. been a Les Paul guy. right? I have. I have. That was the switch. That was. the Yeah. Yeah. So that was um, 
that was the start. Yeah. You love a heavy guitar. Well, <laughs> technically, no. The one that I picked when I when I got a new, the one that I've been playing for the last, I think nine years, ten years, is a Les Paul The Paul, and it's actually uh-huh. a lighter weight version of like you know everyone plays like this the the studio not the studio where they play, um, I'm blanking, but they play the heavy one, and right. I was like, this is insane. This guitar is legit too heavy. So the one too I got. Heavy. I didn't re- yeah. It's, it's insane it's too heavy you yeah. can't do anything it's just so heavy um but yeah i i bought this guitar on ebay i saw it i was like this guitar is the most beautiful guitar i've ever seen and i put in a bid and i was like oh crud i'm the highest bidder oh no i've won this and i didn't really have the money so i was like i sold my guitar that i had i sold a few like things and i paid for it and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because like, that guitar has been on every record since and i love it so much oh my god where where did this thing ship from was it like a private seller like it was from a music store and the cool thing about it is there's no the pools don't normally have like a painted headstock they don't have a pit guard they don't have so whoever did this custom job made it look like a les paul studio or like a kind of a more beefed up version <clears throat> um so people are always like what is that what is that guitar yeah uh, it's just like a natural wood body finish um but it, it's it's the best. I love it so but much. But it's been your and... go-to ever since. Oh, I'm actually getting scared now. Like we're going to Southeast Asia and I debated if I should uh, buy a different guitar just to bring because, you know, I'm not going to be playing through the best amps anyway. So it's not really right. who really cares. It's just like, and it's a lot of flying, but I said, screw it. It's, we, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're going all out until the wheels fall off, you know, like I'm just, I'm yeah. bringing it. I got to, I got to play with it. It's just, it's just the best so oh that's awesome that's but awesome. it does scare me it just scares me a little bit you know it's just like yeah yeah you better yeah. put like nine air tags in that oh yeah we got, we got we got the air tags in there <laughs> yeah, yeah. um so I, I just wanted to ask really quick you mentioned about playing acoustic in front of your school what was the circumstance was it like a talent show no it was like we probably we all learned probably like one song very easy and it's like everyone's like ding like g g e e d d c c you know something like very yeah, simple kind of like a very... recital yes was it like yeah, a yeah, recital yeah. okay okay yep. and there's yeah. probably like seven seven or eight of us all with these like tiny little kids with giant <laughs> acoustic yeah. guitars um but i don't know the song or, or what we played um but that was yeah it was a, like a little recital in front of our our school in primary so, school so once you get your red squire and you're now like a, a full-fledged uh, alternative rocker. What uh, what are some songs you remember you learning how to play that like probably got you excited? Like, oh shit, I'm actually like able to play songs that I listen to. Yeah. Um, I think early I had lessons at some point like early on. I think the first song I learned probably on the acoustic was uh, "No Woman No Cry" by Bob Marley. I just Hell remember yeah. someone teaching me that. And I was like, because it had like a really, the structure is really easy around C. So you're like, you're basically moving just like a few fingers here and there, but you're in the same position. So it was like, it feels like you're doing a lot, but it's pretty simple. And then the first riff I remember was uh, Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner. And like being able to play that riff, oh man, it felt so good. <laughs> like, it felt yeah. so cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm a rocker right now. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then later on, um, I wanted to learn how to play like some rage against the machine riffs, like learning how to like do like drop tuning and being like, Oh sick. Like yeah, I can play these like really heavy like riffs, you know, like that felt cool. Um, 
And then learning some like chili pepper riffs, you know, like learning some solos, learning the, the solo to Californication. I remember I can still play that. <laughs> I remember like, learning awesome. that and being really excited. And then eventually with the with the guitar lessons, I felt like, you know, we started learning scales and all this stuff that I was like, this is this is boring. This is taxing. I don't I, I want to just learn the songs and I, I'm good enough now where I can listen to a song and get the tab online. So right. Uh, I just stopped taking lessons. I'm, I was like, I'm not trying to be Steve Vai. He's like showing me Steve Vai solos. I'm like, dude, I, I mean, that's cool. But like and I learned a crazy solo. Like I learned an insane solo. And I was like, why am I doing this? Like, who am I impressing? Like, <laughs> can you still do it? it? No, I actually went back and rewatched it. It's the solo from a movie called, I think, Crossroads. I think. That's oh yeah, 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 yeah. With, you know the one where he like uh, fights the Ralph devil. Ralph Macchio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I learned part of this so like crazy. I'm like, I was thinking back, and I'm like, did I actually was I actually able to play some of that? Like, yeah, it was wild. I definitely cannot do it now. <laughs> it would take yeah. me like a week or so to like really get my chops up. But no, once I realized what I liked playing and. You know, once I joined a band and was like, someone, Andrew telling me like, oh, you can write music. And I'm like, I have no, what are you talking about? I only know how to do tabs. Like, so, you know, you just, just mess around and just show me something. I'm like, I honestly didn't know how people wrote music. I had never tried to write music. It was just, right. I just played the songs that someone else shows me. And then, right. and then it, I don't know what happened, but like him giving me that encouragement of just, I just started messing around the guitar and be like, is this, is this some, I, I don't know what this is. Is this something? It started off with like bass lines. He would play, he would write a song and I would write like a riff over it and it, it'd just be called the bass line, you know? And then from there slowly, I, I would just, I, I don't even know how I just started playing some chords and stuff. He's like, dude, that's cool. He would just say, that's good. And that was our relationship in writing with Andrew. It was just, uh, I would just be waiting until he says, whoa, what's that? And I'd be like, I don't know. Like, he's like, Qu quickly record, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So that, that was that was kind of how it started. Like, I never ever thought I'd be able to write music. I never thought that was possible. Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Basement's not your first band, is it? Uh... We played in like some like high school stuff, but not like playing shows, you know, just like practice after school and like do like punk covers. We were called Johnny G and the Upbeat Three. Um, <laughs> and we would do like me first and the gimme gimme's like kind of style. Me applauding. That's an <laughs> yeah. incredible band name. Oh my God. So, so and Andrew and my friend Tom Watson and my other friend Ben Fowler, they were in the band called Jason Gigolo. And oh they were a third wave, like ska punk band, like loved sublime, loved no effects, love like just like fast punk, but ridiculous singing and just, just very silly, but I loved it. Yeah. And to me, it was like, they were the band, you know? So I was living vicariously through them. And then it was like, we went away to university and that's when Andrew kind of was saying, Hey, we should start a band. Like he'd got into hardcore. He was showing me hardcore and, uh, 
that's kind of how it yeah that's how that kind of all started so what was the first band that played a show what was your first show you ever played first show that i ever played was in a pop punk band called in this for fun and it was like just like you know, that is the most pop punk band i know i know it was so crazy so so posy so, it's so funny that yeah. back then it was like posy and like neggy you'd be like oh that band is like that bro yeah, is so yeah. neggy <laughs> like dark hardcore like it's so funny so um, it's so amazing like man looking back on yeah. hardcore how much it's changed pretty hilarious um but yeah really we played cool. played a few shows with that and then talk to me about the first show the first show is local in the town over from us called in norwich and it was just so unfortunate gallows were so hyped at that point and they were playing a show down the road in a pub like this like a hardcore show but we'd been offered this show at this different pub and it was just like you know just classic terrible local show but we're so psyched we're playing outside our town we go and play our two friends come and mosh it's hilarious and uh we then run we like zip it over to the pub to see if we can see any of the gallows but they like already had finished and like we saw a few friends and like just chatted but um that was our first show um is andrew in this band yep andrew is singing yeah 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 yeah. we like put we like made yeah basically all of basement pretty much minus duncan oh wow okay and then it like morphed and we were like just like we wanted to do something different we were like what yeah, I don't want to do this. Like, like we yeah. were writing music and listening to music. We're like, oh, okay. We kind of had Andrew had been writing songs. It's like, this just doesn't sound like this. And then we're not trying to do this anymore. So we kind of like switched it up and we were like, we changed the name. And at the time I was living in my parents' basement, which is uncommon in England. We don't have basements. You know, you've been there a million times and yeah, this house did. And uh, we'd all hang out down there. And like, it was just like a cool little place, to, like just chill and make music and hang out. And uh and he's like, we should just call it Basement. We're always down there. I was like, I don't know, man. It's kind of weird. He's like, it's just like a one word band name. And you can just associate the music with it. You don't even think about it. And he named off some bands. And I was like, okay. I was like, all right. Yeah. I guess we're called Basement. So that was the start. And our first show for Basement was at a nightclub in Ipswich called uh, Liquid. <laughs> and we played like, you know how they have the uh, like the goth nights or like, the rock nights at like clubs in England? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We like played before that, and then it was like turned into like a a rock night, you know, where people come do the club night. So we played, and uh, yeah, it was it was cool. It was like all our friends were there. It was it was fun. That's awesome. Was <laughs> it what what year would that have been? Because I I saw that you guys did your first demo two thousand nine. Yeah, so I think that show would have been probably twenty ten, uh, either two thousand nine or or early two thousand ten. Yeah. Okay. So did you guys record before you played a show? Yes, because we were already technically like like a band, you know what I mean? And because we were at university, you know, like we were we were spread out. It was kind of hard for us to play shows. So, yeah. Okay, got it. Well, talk to me about, was that, is Basement the first band that you recorded with? Um, There were a few tracks with the pop punk band, but. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah that i don't like not that it does count yeah that was the first time recording i you know had no no idea what i was doing um Um, yeah yeah yeah. i saw your first the first few basement things were recorded with uh ian bolt how do you say that Ian bolt yeah 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 yeah. did he do the the demo as well um for basement yeah 
Yeah, yeah, he did that, and then he did the first LP. Okay, um, yeah. So, how did uh, how did he come into your life, and like, what was oh, it man. like? You know, those early <laughs> those early recordings. Oh, just legendary, man. Okay, so Ian Bolt was this. He's a really tall dude, has dreadlocks. Uh, you just can't miss him. He was like a legend in Nottingham. Like you would see him at all the like rock shows and like the club nights. I- Ian Bolt, you just could Bolty. They would call it right, Bolty. You're right, Bolty. Like yeah, you just yeah. see him around and like just absolute legend. And I knew that he recorded like punk and hardcore. He had a practice space and this little studio called Stuck on a Name, and it was in this really grimy uh like factory building on like the fourth floor you have to get in like an old elevator and it's like damp and that it's just like it was just so amazingly like british punk like recording spot and uh yeah we i was like i I knew him through hardcore once i was going to shows there and would see him around and i knew that people oh yeah everyone records a bolty so i was like yo everyone just come up to nottingham stay at my house and we'll go and record with ian and we'll, we'll figure it out and uh we're like so impressed by him having amps and stuff. Like I didn't, I didn't own an amp. Like I didn't own anything. <laughs> it's just like I had nothing. I was like yeah. completely, completely like skint student. You know, like had nothing. And so yeah, we tracked some stuff with him. Demo came out, and then Jeff from Run for Cover heard it, and he was like, "You should do an LP." And I was like, "Oh, I guess we'll go back." And yeah, we were like totally left to do our own devices ian like bolty wasn't ever like kind of giving us he was just there to like press record and like keep the vibes up and just we just kind of figure it out which is crazy when i think about it i knew nothing i knew nothing about anything was Uh, was it recorded track by track or was it live yeah 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 track by track and uh yeah just so naive you know and uh, it's so funny because like we didn't (laughs) crabs drums we always laugh about the snare on that first lp is so crazy and it's like we didn't know like i think i think the guy who mixed it was like do you want me to he's <laughs> like i can go through and like replace the snare with like a program snare because he was like yeah. this sounds crazy and he was trying his best to like change it and uh we were like no we didn't want to like, do a disservice to crab and i think crab looking back on it was like i wish i had changed it. but it's so funny like it, it's it's like one of those things you look back on and you're like it's just such a testament to like being a kid and like kind of like not knowing like, everything was a learning experience you know and like, yeah to do that just by yourself and just figuring it out what do you remember about how you were feeling though with those early recordings like was it was recording something that you immediately took to do you remember liking it and how has that changed over time at the time i was so psyched uh yeah so i mean first of all we're gonna be signed to run for cover records are you kidding me i was like over the moon like all my this is where like okay i'd become aware of like hardcore and like labels and like bands and like oh i like this label because there's bands on it and that label for me was run for cover and like the community and seeing videos on YouTube, like I'm like I'm gonna be a part of that. Are you, like, I couldn't believe it. Out making an album, like, this is you know everything just felt so exciting. I, I don't remember it as much from the studio. It's kind of a bit of a blur. But I I know that we were all getting really hyped, and we did it. We at classic basement style. We probably did it in like three or four days. You know, just like of course, yeah. Just just did it in no time at all. Um, but I remember one specific memory was like after getting the mixes and masters, I was on the bus going to uni and I had it in my like 
on the original like iPod, you know, I had it on there mm-hmm. and I was like listening to it and I was like, oh, I made something good. Like I made something that I liked and I, I was really proud of it. Like, I think I, I knew, I liked listening to, it. I was enjoying listening to my own music, you know, and uh, it felt like, whoa, this, it just felt great. I just, I just, it was a really good feeling. Now looking back, I wish, you know, there's so many things. Oh, that song's too fast. I wish this sounded better. Like I knew nothing about guitar tone, but there's stuff on there that I was like, oh, I, I, I can see like the glimmer of like, we knew that we were going to be a band and like that this was right. going to, there was some promise there, you know? So I go back and it's like, it's like a little, you, a little smile on my face if I listen to it, you know, just like, oh, it's, yeah, it's like, it's just it's charming. Yeah, it's char- yeah, 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 yeah. Like we were just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a great, a great way to put it. Um, I wanted to ask actually because I know the Seven Inch came out on a label called City of Gold, which did like <laughs> Daylight, Day Trader, Man Overboard, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, Citizen. Yeah, yeah. So, like, how did that come your way? Because that sounds like a label based in the states. No, it's actually based in the UK. So, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy Adrian and Tom, Tom had a record label called zone six at the time they'd put out like set your goals and oh, okay. the steel and like a few other people like i just knew that like some hardcore stuff um i'm pretty sure they did a i'm pretty sure zone six did some set your goals maybe like a uk version i might be wrong it might have been banquet but either way i knew them from like hardcore and we played a show in wales and adrian was like yo i i, I want to put out a seven inch for you guys and uh we were like what our first ever vinyl record like we were we were so hyped so that's when we recorded four tracks and like we played and you know he was like telling me like it's selling like we've just sold like you know however many they'd sold at the time and i was really excited and like we sold through our first press and it was just like super exciting to have like actual seven inches at the merch table for sure so but that was uk label yeah and they uh okay that was at the moment where like more us bands were coming over and they were like they were putting out the uk version of a seven inch or, or whatever got it uh, yeah but they got it. lasted lasted for a little while and then that, that was about it yeah totally totally okay yeah um i was gonna ask that if like being on vinyl was something that excited you guys it sounded like it sounds like it did oh dude so incredible crab did all the artwork for the seven inch and yeah just i was never a vinyl person but just to to, to know the legitimacy like it. Yeah. of holding a record that's mine and like yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing feeling. And uh... Uh, one of the things that I've always liked about your band, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like you guys have always kept the art in house. Yeah. Right? Like between yeah. you, Crab, like you guys yeah. have always done all the art for all your records, yeah. right? So Crab did awesome. the seven inch. And then for the first LP, I shot some photos in Ireland. And it was a happy accident. I was at the airport, like messing with these two photos, and they kind of blended together with this weird setting and like an opacity setting and that was the cover of that i i showed the guys i was like i think it should be this one i'll show you the other ones you know and i was so thankful that they were like yeah yeah let's do that one i was like because the other ones were fine they were just like shots of like trees or like a landscape right. or so you know something yeah, yeah. that was like basic but this one i was like there's something about this that feels special and uh yeah, it's definitely one. I'm definitely really proud of that cover. It came out really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, so it's crazy to me when you look at the time of things where like Color Me and Kindness came out one year after that first record. 
right? Is that yeah, like something like that? Does that yeah. seem crazy to you now too? Yeah, because the the way that it happened was that Andrew had said we came back from America and Andrew's like, hey, I I don't want to go full time. I don't want to do this full time. I'm like nervous. I would like to go back to school and get my degree in teaching. And I was like, whoa, what the heck? I think we're all taken aback. Like, uh, what are we going to do? Um, so I said, like, all right, okay. I guess we're going on hiatus. So we planned out like these shows that we were going to do and we we're going to go to Australia. We were going to go to America and we we're going to play Sound of Fury and we were going to tour back from Sound of Fury back to the East Coast. And I was like, look, we have, we have uh, about a week from Australia and Sound of Fury. So you want to go to Japan or do you want to like, and like, New Zealand or do you want to like record a, an album and everyone was like we should record I was like all right so I booked some space uh, some time with us in San Francisco and we that's when we recorded Color Me and Kindness in a week I can't believe and, you guys did that record in a week too that's yeah. crazy yeah we slept in the studio and uh, we just got it done wow and was that also track by track and all that same deal yeah yeah, yeah. we were How writing songs were- we were writing songs in the studio like there was some that I that were done there were some that were like fragmented and then there were some that were just straight up like, all right, let's just write a track. <laughs> like just kind of just like riffing. Well, knowing now, like me hearing that and knowing how, you know, the record sounds like it was pretty piecemeal put together. Was it surprising to you the response that it got when it came out? Like, did you guys all know it was good? I mean, I will say that the only one of the only times there's a few times in my life where I've been in the studio and I knew the track was, there was something special. And I remember waking up and hearing Andrew tracking vocals for cover. I'd never heard the song. Um, I'd written, I'd written the guitar part and sent it to him, but I'd never heard him sing over it. And I wake up and I'm hearing him sing it. And it's almost like, what is that? Like, what, what? And I'm like, I'm just walking closer and hearing him track it. Like, Oh my goodness. This is, this is crazy. Like, this, this sounds wild and i think i knew then that there was something special then for that song particular in particular but the production everything about that experience was so much like leveled up like no diss to ian like he did what he could for us yeah. in that time but um working with sam he he knew the band he knew kind of what we wanted and was really dialed in to try and make that record sound big and to emphasize the things that should be heard you know for the listener so right yeah. um not that i knew that it was going to be what it was but i knew that there was some special stuff on there and i was really excited like i knew it was our best material for sure like and we'd kind of like dialed into something that felt like our own and new right you know like it felt like yeah okay cool like this is we, we've gone to a different area and i feel cool right now this feels this feels nice yeah 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 I love that. Uh, What was the first basement tour? I think it was us, Tiger's Jaw and Self-Defense Family with Tiger's Jaw headlining. Um, I think that was the first one because I remember coming back from America and Brianna hitting me up and being like, hey, can you talk to our like booking agent? And we'd love to like play some shows with you guys. Yeah. And I think that was the first one. Or if I'm wrong, because they were so they were kind of close together. There's another tour that was us, uh, Hostage Calm, and Daylight. Those two were the early like Euro UK tours. Okay. 
what do you remember um, from it? Like, do you, I mean, oh, so much, so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we could talk for hours. Um, just <laughs> so <laughs> being so intimidated and scared of like end of a year, like Pat and Benny and just like the whole band and just being like, who are these people? Like, we like. <laughs> We feel like such noobs. They're like, you don't like Earth Crisis? You're not straight edge. Like, oh, crud. Like, what? <laughs> and then, like, Pat, like, rolling in the, in our van and, like, putting on music and being like, what do you think about this? Why do you like this? This is lame. Like, And yeah. I just, like, we're like, we hate this guy. He sucks. <laughs> Crab was like, this guy sucks. Um, but we, we loved him. We, like, it was lots of uh, memories on that. Oh lots of memories on that tour we played this epic house show up north just like wow like pure just just i i didn't even i was speaking to someone the other day i was like i didn't even know if we're getting paid like i don't even know how things were paid for like it was right. just turn up and just play like all i wanted to do was play shows i'm playing with bands from america with these people that i admire and it is so exciting but yeah it's just so sounds corny but like beautiful like i didn't know like <laughs> we know right. we didn't have a tour manager or any of that stuff we just just turned up and just did it it just somehow you know? happened yeah it just somehow happened that is the exact way like how the heck did we get through europe like i don't know <laughs> like i don't know how these things happened like yeah how long was that tour the the one with tiger's jewel was probably like you know probably a week 10 days yeah. maybe it was just uk and yeah. then with uh the euro one with hostage calm and daylight that would have been longer probably like two or three weeks and we went you know all across europe and played like, the squats and all that kind of stuff like pure yeah. like pure like misery at times but but you're just loving it you know like you get right. sick and you're just cold and you're just like what am i like we have no money like we're like barely eating like you know it's just like just like sleeping at the venues and eating yes. punk stew, probably. Yes, yes, all of that, all of the above, and like yeah. no one, no one knew about that music. No one cared, especially in Europe. Like they didn't get it. Like that wasn't yeah. a thing at the time. They still, you know, they kind of can get stuck in their ways about a few <laughs> genres. So we were like, it was sure. like new and like it was different, you know. But it was again, it was pure. It was like just the pure love of just getting out there and being excited and just making really bonding like friendship wise with all, the, with all those people and i'm so happy to say that i'm friends with everyone from all those tours right 10 10 11 years later like it's amazing absolutely what was your first tour in the states our first tour we came out and we did an east coast run half with the band such gold um from upstate new york and then the other half was with daylight so we knew daylight you know we'd already done that tour in the uk with them and do you remember that website property of zach like yes. they were like yeah <laughs> that was like sponsored by them i don't know why i'm i just remember the flyer like i had I put a little <laughs> logo on there um <laughs> uh yeah and that that was oh that yeah that was just the best there's no words to describe that that was just a dream like yeah. getting to tour america like as did you immediately from, feel uh, the difference between oh, touring in uh, europe and the uk yes, yes. <laughs> Everything was special. Everything was incredible. There wasn't a single moment wasted. We were like, as soon as we got to the venue, we we're like, we're looking around. We're traveling. We're like, what? What is this? What can we do? Show us stuff. Like, just wide-eyed yeah. and just so 
down for anything like and people actively wanting to show us stuff you know like and, and meeting people that we knew and like friends of friends and like we were forming those early relationships and like you know first time to boston seeing run for cover like being so impressed that they had like an, an office and by an office i mean uh an apartment that had like no walls and like people were adam vass was living there i think uh, oh my god i remember that Luke schwartz was living there like there's records everywhere like, it's just a mess and i'm like whoa this is legit <laughs> like just so wide-eyed with everything and playing skate parks playing bowling alleys playing pizza shops playing just anywhere and everywhere and it, and it being the most exciting time and you know, if I ever speak to kids like, yo, I want to be in a band. I want to like, what do I do? How do I make it? And I'm like, just, just play shows with your friends. Just, just go yeah. out and do that first. Like that's the most important part. Like forget the making it, forget the streams, forget any thought of making money. Just, just do it for the love of it. I'm telling you that is the best time that is, you can't get that time back, you know? And if it does end up working out, there's new challenges, there's new distractions, and you'll never be able to look at it the same. It's just, it's just hard to get that. Sound uh, advice. Sound it's advice. Just, it's hard to get that back. And I, I'm so glad that I had it. I'm, you know, I see some bands and they jump straight to medium-sized venues and that's great, but man, you missed out on like some like epic times, you know, it may not be the best, you know, it may not always be yeah. the easiest, but they're the ones you remember. They're the tours you always talk about. Um, Cause you're like, how did that happen? How did we do that? <laughs> it's like a miracle. 1000%. And also a thing that gets kind of said here every now and again is like the friends you make on those first tours are often lifetime friends, like in the cities that you play people you meet at the venues or whatever. It's like, you might not talk to them on a regular basis, but when you see them, it always feels like an amazing reunion. Cause you're just like, Oh my God. I remember, you know, it's just, You've been through that. You've been through those experiences. Exactly. Like, yeah, you were there. Yeah. You were there. We you were in the trenches. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Totally. Exactly. No, it's, it's awesome as well. Like when I remember, say I go to some of these cities and I see some of the venues and it's like, yeah, man, it like hits me in my heart of like, whoa, yeah. Like, yeah. I can just about remember like rolling up to this venue and the trailer and all, all these like, I don't know why I mentioned the trailer, but just the idea of like that little trailer being like towed or like yeah. crammed full of stuff and like you're hanging out in there and like I, I don't know. There's there's it's beautiful. It's like again, just that pure desire to play shows and, and without what felt like at the time, like no distractions. It was just you're just doing it. You just it's just the love of the excitement, the adventure of being on the road and seeing and hearing so many stories of other bands and peers and you're like i want my own i want my story you know like yeah so man after i mean obviously basement there's it'd be it would this be a three-hour podcast if i tried to tackle every element of uh the basement story i did actually want to ask though i remember when you guys were in la working on the uh beside myself record and you guys were doing that with a producer who is also kind of a songwriter and i remember that kind of being like a challenge for the two of you um, what do you take away from that experience now, you know, looking back on it um, when writing that record? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, working with Colin was, was great. Um, and we had, we'd come in and we'd worked with some songwriters and, but we had, we'd made a pretty clear, we put our foot down and said, we will bring you the song. 
like there'll never be anything where they come up with the idea. It was like we always starting with like we had like maybe like fifteen demos and like riffs or melodies, and we'd bring them to someone. But hey, let's just like sit in a room with someone else and just bounce ideas off them and see what happens. But we never wanted it to be like, you know, people were trying to present, hey, there's this song, I think it would work great for you guys. And it's like, dude, this is no, this isn't gonna work like that. Like yeah. we have our songs, we just want to get outside our what we're comfortable with and and try something different. And I learned a lot and I am so open and love writing with other people, even if it's for other people or just having someone else come in and and write and I just think now it would be, I would be more not exclusive, but the people that I would write with would be basically people, my friends, like people I know, or like just something a little bit more, again, for the love of it, you know, a little bit more right. um, of just that like people that, and that's no diss to Colin. That was like, we, his, he was the producer for the record. And, you know, we, we worked on that in a different way. I'm talking more specifically about like songwriting sessions and stuff, but um, yeah, no, I'm so, I'm always intrigued by like you get stuck in your head and you get stuck in certain cyclical like ways of writing. And so to bring someone else in and be like, Hey, what if it kind of, and it ooh, just like kind of throws you into a different way and, and, and a way that you never thought about writing before. Um, I'm always excited by that. And I love with fiddlehead. I always get Andrew. I'll show Andrew like say a song about, Hey, I need help with a harmony or like, Hey, what are you thinking about this? And like, he can like throw out an idea and it's just like, I'm a very collaborative person. So I like, Okay, cool. Wow, you just brought something to my attention that I hadn't thought of before. So, but yeah, um, that's awesome. I hope that answers actually, the question. No, it does for sure. And let's. Uh, I feel like that's a perfect segue because now uh, I'm sure listeners would be like, "Why haven't you talked about Fiddlehead yet?" So let's uh, <laughs> let's let's tackle that a little bit. Something that I remember, I I just I don't think I've ever talked to you about is it's so fascinating that you guys did that seven inch back in 2014 on Locking Out. And I remember being so excited. I ordered that own it still in my record collection here and then it felt like it was just kind of like a one and done project and then four years later you guys put out an lp what's the yep. story like what like what was the, i'm a, if i was to make up my own lore the band started because you were living in boston and you made these friends and you guys just wanted to start a band that's is, is that fair to say for the pretty start much of the band? yeah a little bit a little bit different um i moved to boston maybe on the like Within week one, my friend is like, hey, like, I already know someone there. Uh, my friend Gary Decker. And he's like, yo, you should come bowling with us. I go bowling. He's like, oh, meet my friend Alex Dow. I meet Dow. And <laughs> within like 30 minutes of talking to Dow, he's like, you play guitar, right? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh, like, I've just been jamming with my roommate. Um, and like, we're thinking about starting a band. You should come jam with us. I'm like, yeah, I'm down. Like, I'm like, what the heck? That's crazy. But I was yeah. instantly gravi gravitated toward this guy. And I'm like this guy Dow, he seems cool. Like, so we hang out a few times and then he's like, Oh yeah. Like, uh, we got someone who's going to do bass and like drums. And he's like, he tells me Pat Flynn's going to sing. Sean from have heart is also going to play drums. And, uh, I'm just like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, we'll probably put it out on locking out. Like if we do anything, I'm like, actually, he probably doesn't mention locking out then, but yeah. he says have heart and I'm tripping. I, I'm like, what in the world? I, I was just like, I was a huge Have Heart fan, of course. And like, you yeah. know, I went to multiple shows in the UK. It's like historic band with a historic legacy. And uh, I think one day I was out getting ice cream near my apartment and I see Pat and he's like, uh, hey, uh, how are we going to be in a band together, dude? Uh, nice to meet you. And I'm like, just like, 
hi <laughs> like like what the heck like just yeah. so like what is going on and then yeah we we meet up and first practice we write a song like Dowen uh Pat had already kind of had like this riff and we write a song and then we write another one and then and we have okay we have four songs it ends up being like oh yeah we're gonna put it on locking out I'm like dude I'm like calling up Andrew like dude I'm gonna be in a band just just, just listen to this I'm gonna be in a band with Pat Flynn's going to sing. It's going to come out on Locking Out. We're going to play America's Hardcore Fest, you know, like Triple B Fest. Yeah. Like, and he's just like, what the heck, man? How does this stuff happen? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it just started as like, a, it was a pure passion, passion project, you know? Like we just wanted to write music with no stress of playing shows. We said we we're going to release the seven inch play one show and be done. That was it. And that's kind of, that was the law for a while. And then... We played a few more shows, very brief. I think I have it all written down because I remember how Touche used to always uh, categorize all yeah, the shows. Still do. I need to, yeah, I was like, I yeah. need to do that. So I've done that. And there's a year where we play like 50, 2014, we probably play like three shows, two shows, you know, nothing. And then one year we play a show. One we I think 2016, we played zero shows. Like there's like no shows played. And that's just because Basement was busy and the the band was just not a th- it just wasn't a thing and then slowly we started meeting up more and writing more songs i don't know how that happened we just over the years we would have a practice we'd have a practice out of nowhere and we'd write another song and it would be like put in the in the archives and out of nowhere it was like oh here's this block of time we can finally record an lp and uh I think everyone, not that we were reluctant. It was just that we just have the material and we just were loving writing. So it was like, we should probably record this, you know? And so we recorded it and then it was just like people gravitated towards it. You know, up until then it was like, we're playing basements. We're playing, you know, we don't care about any of that stuff. It's just, we're just playing this again, back to basics, just like loving it. And it's just fun. It's just fun to play. And then the LP came out and it kind of was like, oh, Oh, people like this. Like this is kind of had <laughs> some like weight to it. And that was yeah. kind of we we always talk about like that was like when the band started, technically, of like, you know, when people recognized the band that Springtime of Blind is like that's when people knew about it. But prior to that, right. we were just playing Boston and that was it. Play local shows. What was the first fiddlehead show? First show is December seventh, twenty fourteen, and it's America's Hardcore Fest at the middle east upstairs i remember that show very very clearly um it was great it was really fun and then in 2015 we play five shows 2016 zero shows 2017 five shows and then the record comes out and then 2018 we play 16 shows and that's kind of been around 16 to 20 has been the kind of the average yeah i mean we really don't play you know like we just don't play but wait i gotta say one our second show ever in 2015 turnstar super heaven fire and ice freedom adventures at the hardcore stadium damn pretty 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 hilarious i'm pretty sure sam i'm pretty sure sam didn't sell tickets in advance and there was like a line you know like kids like not crying but being like so bummed that they just couldn't get it's just not physically possible to fit any more people in there like that is a stacked show yeah it was pretty wild (laughs) yeah um I remember you and I actually having a conversation because at some point I remember bugging you about Fiddlehead doing shows with Touche and you saying, you know, we're going to purposefully not play very much. 
And yeah. I think that you guys have continued to do that because with the idea of like, when we play, we want it to be kind of an event. Yeah. And that's a smart way to operate. And it also keeps everybody sane, I think, you know? Yeah, keeps, no, definitely. Gives everybody the ability to do what they need to do in their personal lives and then, you know, carve out the time to do something. And I got to say, with that being sort of the the way you guys have operated, it's impressive how much you guys have written and the fact <laughs> you guys have three LPs now for well, a band that seemingly isn't super active. It's a very yeah. impressive. I, I will say I never thought that I would get uh, the creative connection that I had with Basement and when I write with Andrew, I thought that was just that that was impossible. And then with yeah. Fiddlehead, it was something was sparked there where we just connected in a different way. And it's so different how we write songs, but kind of it, it's so free form. Like it just happens like when we're in the room, because it's so the opposite of overthinking, like that without the pressure of this is a band that we just love writing music. And it's like, I'm really playing the stuff that I love listening to. Like, I really, I feel like it's, it really is pulling from all the things I love and I kind of, I feel comfortable just, I don't know. I, it doesn't have to be a hit. It doesn't have to be anything. It's just, is this exciting for us? And like, yeah. And Pat's tangents, the way that he writes and the way that he'll interject and like come up with like, it's so, it's so fascinating the way that we both like kind of work together and uh, Sean being an absolute beast of a drummer, just making any riff that I set, I play sound good because he just puts the coolest beat over it. And then Dow coming up with like riffs. That I'm like, dude, where did that come from? You know, just like, yeah. and now having, and now having Nick in the band and Nick wrote uh, two songs, presented two uh, songs to us for the newest LP. He's our new bassist. And uh, we're like, heck dude, these are awesome. So like we wrote songs around these bass lines and like, it, it's just, we, it was like every practice we were writing a song and it was just fun. Um, there's just something very freeing about this band that I just, all I want to do is just kind of get back in the room with them. And, uh, we talk about that a lot of like, it really does exist now to just kind of continue to put out music. We just, I just love it. I love writing music with them and it's really fun. And Pat has, we've all learned so much, but like, I, it's been cool to see Pat be able to come around to my notion of demoing. And now he's like, I could never not demo. And I'm like, yeah, dude. Like that's why the other LPs <laughs> were so savage when I'm like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, I feel like a terrible person. Cause he's like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, the he's like i'm like cracking the whip on him you know to be like again yeah we gotta no we gotta figure this out this melody needs to da, 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 you know because i just come from a different world of like you know we, we all come from different places but at the end of the day we'd been in bands that had been had some level of success and so that was freeing this band doesn't have to accomplish anything it's it's just uh it's just because we like each other and we like writing the music so if I was to relate to that at all, it's like, I'm wondering if you're hitting the same headspace as me, where it was like, I have a band called Hesitation Wounds, which our entire identity was always, you know, when we can actually find time to all get in a room together, we try to write as many songs as we can in a single day and like record them immediately. <laughs> less pressure. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like I'm way less precious about my lyrics. I'm just like, you know, Let's just get it done. Let's just have fun. Who cares? Whereas like, touche, 
will take a year to write a record. This yeah. band is like, who gives a shit? But yeah. it's th- that freeing Nate. And it's so funny because I know basement to you was always going to be like the thing that you put all of your heart and soul into. And it sounds like an, in a similar sort of way, like fiddlehead, there's just less pressure, but it's funny though, because I think at this point to a lot of people, fiddlehead is as important as basement, which is probably something kind of hard for you to wrap your head around. No, it's definitely intriguing to see how <laughs> it's like history repeating itself in some ways. It's like <laughs> I'm like coming back to venues. Like I played here with basement. What the, what am I doing yeah. playing here with fiddlehead? This is crazy. Um, totally but they both exist in different ways it's, it's um you know you said my heart and soul is basement yes it's like that was my first band and yes i was truly like yeah that was everything for sure and then you know as the years went on some things happened and things got kind of control and things were kind of taken away and i maybe lost that uh if i'm being honest like lost the the, the pure love for it and again when a band becomes your full-time job you're making decisions that sometimes are based on yeah how am i going to be able to pay rent like is this going to be am i going to be able to survive you know this is you know we we stopped playing before this kind of boom in rock you know it it was it it was a struggle you know you, you had to be on the on the road so much to like get by and so that affects you and then you're on the road so much and then okay, how do we find time to write? And it's just, there's just added pressure. And um, the cool thing about Fiddlehead is that now as it's grown, different people take on different roles for things. So it's like, I don't have to, before with bass, maybe I was like trying to do too much, you know, and now it's nice that I don't really deal with any form of the booking. I don't really deal with any form of like press, even though we're doing like, you know, we're doing a podcast, but like, Pat, you know, I let Pat go and do his thing. And like, there's just like so many different things I don't have to even worry about. It's just writing songs and, uh, yeah. and, and playing shows when we can. And it just, it just feels really organic. And I, I love, I love basement and I'm excited to see what will happen, uh, with that. And, uh, I think I've learned so much, especially over maybe that the last three or four years that I think I have a really good grasp of like how I want to be in a band and how the music industry exists and how I feel like I belong in there. Like what kind of carving out where I exist and kind of the things like, Nope, don't need to do that. Nope. That doesn't need to be part of me being in a band. Like, Nope, don't care about that. Like I, it's not about X, Y, and Z. And I think Fiddlehead reignited those early things that I was telling you about with basement and kind of maybe brought a lot of things uh, to uh, shined a lot of light on like what gave clarity to things that I truly valued. And you write the best music when you're, you're free of like those external pressures. And that sometimes they're just there. It just, it, it just is, you know, writing another LP off, even for Fiddlehead was like, crud, I want it to be good. <laughs> you know, I, I want it to be good. I want people to like it. Um, but it's, it's not make or break. And at the end of the day, do I like it? are we excited are we excited right now in this moment you know and and the answer is yes i feel like this is the newest lp is i i think it's the best lp i've ever written and recorded on and been a part of it's like i just i think there's just something about it that i i I love and i'm so proud of everyone who was involved in it it's dark it's dark it's a dark record but also there's so much it's like it's a brutally honest record of saying there are dark things in this world 
but there is a light and you have to focus on that light. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, that's quite a, uh, that's, that's quite a hype builder. I can't wait. That's so exciting. <laughs> that's so exciting. It's soon, right? When does it actually come Very out? Very soon. It's going to be August 18th. August sure. 18th. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, well, damn, Alex, let me hit you with the last question, which is when was the first time that you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? There's probably been a few times for sure. I mean, honestly, just a, this is my current answer. Uh, yeah. Even now with Turnstile, I feel like there's there's a connection right now that I've been like taking this stuff from RFC and taking this stuff from Basement and Fiddlehead and being able to work with a band that's in an uncharted space right now. And that's been very special to see the things that I've learned over the years and, and work with them and kind of apply that. That feels very special that I never thought I'd get to like work with a band that's doing something that's like kind of groundbreaking with uh, regard to like how far you can push hardcore and punk music into the mainstream. So there's been little moments like that throughout my life, but there's one where I had just moved to Boston after, you know, Jeff had said, come to Boston. <laughs> I was sleeping on a floor on with a room without a wall and I'd had my first day at RFC. I had gotten off the bus. I would get the bus to work and it was a cold night. I'm like wrapped up in like, you know, crazy jacket. It's freezing. And I'm walking across this bridge and like I look out and I can see like the skyline of Boston. And I'm just like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm in Boston. I'm working for the label that I love. I'm working in music. This is my job. I live in America. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. It was just a very, almost like out of body experience. I can remember the exact spot. And uh, I think about that, that day a lot. Like that was my first day working there. And like, wow, the things that my mom said were just like, just go do it. And it happened. And it was a huge blessing and answered a prayer. And yeah, I just I think about that day a lot, oh, and I love uh, that. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really special, really special. And then to think about all the things that happened, you know, at RFC after that first day is like, whoa! I could never have thought about that. But, right. Yeah. Oh um, my god. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's a great answer. Hell yeah. Stoked, man. Thank you so much for having me. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Alex for coming on. And thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Thank you so much. I hope you have a really, really great rest of your week. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>